us this morning or just coming to check it out. Uh, we're, we're, we're glad you're here. Maybe you're not a church person this morning. We are, uh, we're really glad you're here. We're not really church people either. So we're just uh, hope, you f- hope you enjoy um, spending this morning with us. Um, if you have been around for a bit, you know that we're in a series right now. We often t- teach in series rather than having a five-hour sermon. We try and break that up over like a, a bunch of weeks. And so we've been, we've been doing a series by a guy named Andy Stanley. We didn't come up with this. Uh, he did, but it's just so powerful, so simple, so uh, life applicable and potentially life-changing. And the series we're in is called Guardrails. And uh, many of you, you passed a guardrail on your way. And for those who've been here for a few weeks, you know the definition of a guardrail. You know what it is. Uh, for those who are not familiar with that, we have the definition for you. So a guardrail is a... Uh, it's a system to, um, designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. So in case you always wondered, hey, I wonder what those guardrails, I wonder what their definition is. Well, well, now you know. You'll have one more week. Next week, Gary's going to be um, finishing off this series, and uh, it, will, it will be good. Wanted to uh, give a shout-out to Dietrich. He texted me this morning uh, threatening me that he's going to build a guardrail across my driveway, uh, and I'm just glad he lives out on the East Coast, and he will not follow through with that. So... Um, but again, just grateful for those who are listening online. We're, we, uh, we're, it's a technology that's a, a real blessing for people to be able to, to uh, listen in and put God's Word in their heart, uh, no matter where you find yourself. So thank you to all our kids' ministry volunteers who may be listening. We, uh, we love you guys, and it's uh, just really great to, to serve with you. So, uh, and I just have to give a quick shout-out, a, a thanks to all of those of you who over the past two weeks felt it necessary to take up the, the cause of my two nieces and have seen me in different places and have shouted out, be very, very careful, uh, or have texted me that or emailed me that you know who you are. Thank you, but uh, that's good. I know to be very, very careful. If you're like, what is that all about? You're just going to have to listen in from a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to jump right in this morning. So um, I, I want to tell you a guardrail story, and it's fun to tell it because it's not about me. Uh, and those are always the better ones. And actually, it's even more fun because it's about my mother-in-law. Uh, and so a couple, uh, a number of years ago, um, my, my in-laws are dairy farmers, and uh, my father-in-law, Dick, he, uh, he's famous for giving limited information. He would tell Liz, hey, I want you to do this, but he wouldn't tell her any more details other than that. And so the one day he told her, hey, take this tractor to the, the field down the road. And she's like, okay. And so she, uh, she gets on the, the tractor and she starts driving and she has to cross the train tracks. And she drives across the train tracks. The bumps cause the steering wheel to f- come right off, the, off of the tractor, and she's holding it in her hand, and the limited information was that that happens all the time, like he was supposed to say, hey, slow down over the bumps, because the steering wheel's not really that secure, uh, and so she didn't have that information, so the steering wheel came off, and, and uh, like most smart people would do, they'd put it back on. She just panicked and decided, well, this is no good, and tossed it into the ditch, and then just held on for dear life, and so uh, as I passed that guardrail today, I was looking, and I was like, that's the guardrail that saved that tractor, and saved my mother-in-law. The tractor's since been shipped away, the mother in law we have kept. Uh, but, but uh, you know, it's those, it's those guardrails that, had she gone over, could have been so much more dangerous. And just realizing that a guardrail saved her from an incredibly, incredibly uh, uh, dangerous uh, spot on, on a roadway. But we've been talking about the last number of weeks that there's dangerous areas in our life that could require guardrails that we don't see. They're guardrails, they're internal guardrails that help protect us when we get into financial issues or if we get into relational issues that would, you know, it would stop you. We've talked about the friendships that you have and in a number of different areas. And the, the guardrail that we've talked about on the inside is one that just helps you avoid regret. That it's like, it's, it's something that comes up in your, in your conscience that says, hey, you probably don't want to go any further because 
It's going to be one of those moments you look back on and not very fondly. And so the, the, the type of guardrail we want to talk about today is this is a personal standard of behavior. Personal meaning it's yours to decide for you. I can't decide for Jesse what his guardrails are going to be, and he can't decide for me. So it's win-win, but it's a thing that each and every one of us has the opportunity to do, and we hope you do. But it's a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. It's something you say, this is, this is, where, this is my limit. And those guardrails are placed in safe areas. They're not in the dangerous area. It's not after you're like, okay, my limit is when I've, uh, you know, when I've spent my, maxed out my third credit card. That's my limit. You know, safety is saying, hey, when I can't, when I can't pay for my whole, my whole credit card bill, that's kind of where I want to put my guardrail. I don't want to be in the spot where I end up in a dangerous thing. And so um, we've talked about a number of things. And uh, as a pastor, uh, Andy shared it in his message. And I was like, yeah, that's true. I, I could definitely relate to that. When people call me and say, hey, you know, I really got to talk. You know, something's up. You know, it's my, my son or my wife or whatever. Uh, every time they call and say, hey, I really need to talk and can we meet privately? I always know it's about one of two things. It's either about sex or money. Always. You know, if it's like, hey, my wife and I, you know, we, it's like, okay, probably money. You know, hey, I got my teenage son, definitely sex. You know, and it's like, I just know and I can, can, can guess what's going to happen. But what's interesting to, to note about these things is that these, these two uh, areas that we have so many issues with are actually the two areas that our culture disregards everything that Scripture teaches on both of these topics. We want nothing to do with what, what, uh, what God might say about those two things, and yet we wonder so often, why, why are these such troublesome uh, things for us? And so for some of you, you know, if we were to say, hey, you, I'm not asking you to, but if I asked you to raise your hand and say, how many of your greatest regrets had something to do with either sex or money? Just no nudging, no nothing, but maybe on the inside be like, yeah, yeah, that's probably my greatest regret, probably can be linked to one of those two things. And for some of you, are like, why is the church talking about sex and money? You know, as far as you're concerned, the church is against sex and just wants my money, right? That's, that's the only things you think about as far as the church and sex and money. And yet, we talked about uh, last time, we think God invented sex. We believe he did. You know, first there was no sex, and then God was like, hey, angels, check this out. I got a great idea. Well, you can listen a couple weeks ago. I told the story of how that all happened. Uh, but today, we want to talk about the other thing that God cares a lot about, and that's money. And you think, yeah, it's because he wants my money. But let me just ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever wondered how much you would have if you didn't know what everyone else had? Have you ever wondered what you would drive if you didn't know what everyone else drove? What kind of house you would live in if you didn't know what everyone else lived in? Do you ever wonder how much maybe you would have saved? How much more you would have saved if you didn't know what everyone else had spent? You know, on Facebook, you see them, hey, this is what I bought, and here's, here's what you can buy. And it's like, oh, you know, yeah, I should, yeah, I should. Have you ever wondered how much maybe you would have given away if you had been more content with what you have? Sometimes you're like, yeah, I don't know if I've thought about that. Well, maybe this morning you, you will. Just the thought of what, what would I do? Because really, this awareness of what everyone else has, it, it does something in us. We look around, we're like, wow, they got, they got some new clothes. That looks pretty fancy, you know. I think I could use some new clothes, you know. I mean, these shoes, they're like three weeks old already. I probably could use some new ones. And you start, you start going down this, this track. What does it lead to? It's, it's this little thing called discontentment. And discontentment leads us to the edge of financial cliffs. It's this thing of, I, I'm just not happy with where I'm at. I just need to get a little bit more. And we don't realize a little bit more is just a little bit closer and closer to an edge that so often many just go right off of. And so this morning we want to talk about money, and for some, money seems confusing. 
It's like when you think about money, you're like, I, I don't know. It's like, do I invest? Do I save? Is it RSPs? Is it, like, this is kind of how you describe my you know, thoughts about money. And yet God wanted things to be super simple. It's one of the most talked about topics in the whole Bible is this topic of money. And the reason why is because it, it's so dangerous. This one is actually one that requires double guardrails. It, it's like, it's the one thing that has ditches on both sides that, uh, that require us to, to watch out where how far we're straying either way. The last couple of times we've kind of been talking about, you know, there's, there's this side or there's this side. But this, when it comes to money, it's like, it's like middle of the road because both sides have the potential to be incredibly dangerous. And the thing is, this is not about money management or how much money you have or don't have because you could be really, really good with your money and still completely miss it as far as God's concerned with, with what his desire for money and you is all about. You can be really great with it and still be in a ditch on one of the two sides. And so today we want to look at something that Jesus said. And so if you're a Jesus follower here this morning, I'm not going to do a show of hands because you may not like the second question. But if you're a Jesus follower here this morning, the thought about following Jesus is that we actually follow what Jesus says. So you're like, yes, I'm a Jesus follower. Wait a second, what's he going to tell me? That's very often where we find ourselves. We're like, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower because he saved me. Wait, what? What about my money? No, wait, hold on. Maybe just back that up just a little bit. Let me, let me think about this. But the idea for us, you know, uh, of being Jesus followers, it's not optional. For us, it's what Jesus told us. So you're like, hey, I'm a Jesus follower. You really got to give some thought to this. And basically being a Jesus follower, we're like, yes, Jesus. Okay, what's the question? That's kind of the thing. Yes, Jesus. Okay, what is it that you wanted of me? My answer is yes before I even know because I'm a follower of Jesus. And for some of you, like, why would anyone do that? Why would anybody follow Jesus? And for some, maybe you think, you know, it's just it's Christianity is all about rules. None of us who are Jesus followers decided to be a Jesus follower because we wanted more rules. Like, you know, life's just too easy. Uh, I just need some more rules. I need more limitations in my life. Those church people seem to have a lot. Maybe I'll just become one of them. That's not why we did it. Can I tell you why those of us who follow Jesus do? It's because of this. It's because of a cross 2,000 years ago. And you're like, well, Jesus died for me. What does, what does that mean? The truth is that each and every one of us has sinned. We've, we've gone against God. We've gone against ourselves. We've done things that have hurt us and hurt others. And there is a price that has to be paid for that. And when I think that Jesus came and said, I'm going I'm to pay your fine for you, I'm going to, Mark, I'm going to die in your place because that's the penalty. The penalty really is death, that he would take my cross. Man, I just gratefully want to live my life in response to that. Not, God, what more can you do for me? But because of what you've done for me, I just want to follow you to the best of my ability with the rest of my life. And he says, you know, in one of those areas is money. And so here's Jesus. Jesus is talking with some, some, uh, a group of people. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, but we think that Jesus probably talked about the same stuff a lot of times because Matthew writes about it on a mountainside and Luke writes about it down on the plains and it's similar stuff. So we think he probably talked about it a lot, but Matthew was one of the ones who wrote it down and you can follow along if you have a Bible or if you have it on your phone or if you just want to read the screen, that's okay as well. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says this. Jesus was talking about money. He says, no one can serve two masters. And we're like, we think masters. We're Canadian. We don't have masters. You know, no, there's no slaves around here. Like, I'm, I own myself. And he says, you know, masters, he says, that's this idea of, of ownership, of who, you, of who you serve. But he says, he, he clarifies it. He says, you'll hate one. You'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one. This idea of devotion, devotion to one. You'll be devoted to one, and you'll despise the other because you can't serve God and be enslaved to money. 
He said, you can't walk in two directions at the same time. And for those sitting on that hillside that day, and maybe for us too, they didn't really realize that Jesus was going to start talking about money. But when he starts talking about the opposite of serving God, most of us would probably think, well, the opposite of serving God is serving Satan. You know, it's like, why didn't he say that? Why didn't he say, hey, you can't serve God and serve Satan? Because most of you didn't wake up this morning going, hmm, Sonny, I wonder if I'm going to serve God or serve Satan today. You, you just didn't have that thought. I can, and if you did, this is probably not the right church for you. Um, but, but, but if you woke up this morning, you probably didn't think about it at all. You're like, hey, you know, I'm going to go to church today. You know, I'm going to go be a part of the, the gathering of believers. And, and in, your, in your heart, you're like, yeah, that's, that's just part of me being a Jesus follower. And yet there's this subtle thing down deep in, in, in our culture that tries to draw you away. And it's, it's, this, uh, it's this thing called stuff. It's this thing called money. And it's God's chief competitor for your devotion and for your heart isn't Satan. It's money. It's stuff. It's wealth. And it actually gives it a name. He calls it mammon. It's like, it's, it's almost like it's a personal thing. It's got, it's got such power to, um, to, to own us. And God's not really concerned before you get all worried, like, oh no, he's going to tell us to sell everything and give it all to the church. That's, that's not God's thing at all. He's, uh, he's not concerned with you having stuff. That's not it. He never was. What he's concerned with is, does stuff have you? Does stuff have you? Is there stuff that you have that you hold so tightly to that you actually don't hold it? It's holding you. Is it, and, and when it gets to your heart, he knows. It's the thing that's going to draw you away from him so quickly is this thing called stuff, this thing of being devoted to stuff. He's concerned with the fact that you might spend, spend, spend your way to the cliff and then you get, become a prisoner of this thing called debt unmanageable debt. And I don't even have to do show of hands because our country statistics just tell us that 163% of you are in, in debt up to your eyeballs. Well, that's the national debt level, 163%. It's, cra- it's crazy. But why? How did they end up in that place? And you know, he doesn't want you to end up there. And, and, and debt's not even subtle. They call it MasterCard for a reason because it becomes your master. You know, you don't even get to decide who I'm going to pay first or what I'm going to spend. I've got to pay MasterCard first. And the other side is that you would worry and worry and worry that I'm never going to have enough. I'm never going to have enough. And you end up hitting a wall on the other side. And so we want to talk about the two sides today. The two sides, the two categories that require a guardrail in our life when it comes to money is these. These two right here. Either being a hoarder, hitting the, hitting the, the, the wall of hoarding, or going right off the cliff of being a consumer and I'll just leave that up there for a moment. When we see these words, we see the word consumer, we're kind of okay with that word. Like if we fell into that category, I'm like, I'm, I, I'd rather be on this side than that side. Like consumer's okay. You know, that's just, that people make commercials for consumers. You hear buy this, buy this. But they make shows about these people. You know, and, and I, I, I don't really want to be one of those people, right? Where they're like, oh, this is, this is the, how do they live in that place? And, and then what's interesting is there's shows based on those shows. When those people couldn't afford to keep the storage locker that they had all their stuff in, then there's the storage wars where everybody gets to open them up and buy all their stuff and see why, why did they spend money to put this junk in this locker? And, and sometimes they find some incredible treasures. But those are like you know, the, the hidden hoarders. It's like, it's not in my house. It's in a storage locker some way. And just in case you're like a, um, a business savvy person, right now, one of the greatest businesses to get into is storage lockers. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. Some of you are like, I got to go right now. Got to sign. I got to invest. Why? Because 
it's so ingrained in our culture to, uh, to want, 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 and then once we got it all, well, I want more and I have no space for it. I better put this away for later. And, and so the idea is that, that the consumer is just unbridled desire. I'm just going to buy whatever I want. Hoarders is unbridled fear. I'm never going to have enough. I'm not going to have enough. I'm not going to have enough. And for some of you, you're like, well, we don't really call it that. You know? And the, the truth is that often hoarders marry consumers and vice versa. It's like you find that attractive until you're stuck with them. And then you're like, why are they spending all my money? Why do they keep getting rid of my stuff? Why are they spending all my money? Why do they keep getting rid of all my stuff? And, and so if you're not married yet, just, just be aware that this happens all the time. And, and, and then you come to my office and we talk about money. But, but the thing is, we change the, the title sometimes. We're like, you know, I don't really like the way those sound. So I prefer to call this, you know, a spender. Spender on this side. I'm just more of a spender. And then people on this side are more of a saver. Yeah, and you guys feel good about yourself. You're like, Jesus saves, so, you know, I should too. And, and, and we're better than the other side, right? There's this, this thing of, of how money affects us. And yet, both of these things, you're like, yeah, you know, I thought it was good to be like, you know, a good spender or a good saver or, or whatever. And yet, both of these things have some of these similarities. They're both self-centered. They're both rooted in the same thing. They're both rooted in this word called greed. Hoarders and consumers are both in this word called greed. You, you Google image greed, and every image is ugly. If I said, hey, how many of you think you're greedy today? Most of you are like, no, no, I, I'm surprised. No widespread show of hands, just a few. All right. But we don't, we don't, we don't like that word. Like, nobody wants to be described as greedy. It's, it's just a, an ugly word, and yet... It's so easy for us to find ourselves on both sides, and, and actually it's greed being, uh, being shown. And it's one of those things we don't see in the mirror very well. It's one of those things that uh, we find difficult to notice in ourselves. But Jesus taught on greed, and as he taught on money and he would reference greed, Andy put it into one simple sentence that's simple to remember. Greed, basically the definition of greed, when you're like, I don't know what greed is, this is greed. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Say that together. It's the hope you remember that because that's what greed is. It's assuming that everything that comes into my bank account is for me. And for some of you, like, that's normal. I worked really hard for that money. Of course it's for me. And, and, and it's this thought that, you know, grandma gives extra money or whatever. It's just for me. And whatever, I win the lottery, it's for me. It's for me. The idea of being a consumer is I'm going to consume it all now. And if I can't afford any more, then I'll get going to debt, but I'm going to consume now. The other side is, I'm just going to hoard. I'm going to save it up so I can consume it later because it's, it's really all about me. And the truth is, when we live in either one of those ways, we live as if there's no God. Like, I'm a Jesus follower. I believe there's a God. But we live as if there is no God. We believe, uh, we live, when we live that way, it's like we think, well, this life is all there is. You know, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we die. I might as well, you know, just spend it all on me because it doesn't really matter. And, and, and once I die, who cares about legacy? Like, people are going to look at me. It won't matter. I'm, I'm gone. You know, I'm just going to live it up for me. But for many of you and many of us, there's something on the inside that says, you know, I, I do think there's more to this life than just this life. We hope so at every funeral. You know, we talk about it in different places that, yeah, there's, there's more to this life than just this life. And I don't know that I want to live my life as if there's no God. It's not what I believe, but I don't want to live that way either. And there's an interesting thing that happens to people who live their lives as if there's no God when they run into financial trouble. When you've run into financial trouble, and many of us have, 
You find yourself in a place. What do people do when they run into financial trouble? Even people who don't believe there's a God, they tell somebody. But guess who they don't tell? They don't tell their family. They don't tell their neighbor. They don't tell all the guys at work, hey, I'm broke. I just blew all my money, you know. I'm just a terrible, I'm just terrible with my money, and now I'm in trouble. You know, we don't do that. We kind of like try and hide it and, and make sure nobody knows. But guess who they do tell? Oh, dear God, you know, it's, it's me, Mark, and we haven't talked in a long time, but I really, really, really need your help. Been there? Everyone look straight ahead. All right. People who don't even believe in God, they pray like, God, help me. God, I'm inviting you into my finances. God, I'm inviting you into my money because I'm in trouble. And it's, it's interesting because we think that God might be able to help us, and yet he's kind of our backup plan. It's like, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower, but you just stay over there when it comes to money. I got this. And when, when I don't got this, okay, you know, come help. And so many times he prayed for money, and so many times he's answered it. You see it, I've seen it time and time again, even as a, uh, growing up and going on a mission trip at 15 and having to raise $2,000. I'm like, how's that going to happen? And people are like, just pray. You know, if God really sent you, if God guides, he provides. You know, they have all these different, I'm like, okay, God, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And yet watching him supply every need, watching us go through different stages of life and watching him supply every need, uh, that's, not, that's not difficult for him. The reason he cares about our money is simply that greed hurts us, and greed hurts other people. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. When you're, when you're friends with fools and they make bad decisions, those decisions hurt you. But how much more powerful is it when we make decisions that hurt us and hurt others? That's the thing about greed. It hurts us. It's the thing that breaks up relationships. It's like the thing that, that comes between you and, and, and things things which aren't things at all that are more important, people in your life. You know, it's, it's like you've got stuff that your kids, they can't go in that room because that's the room. That's almost like the sacred room. Nobody touch anything in there. Don't touch that stuff. You know, the kids are grounded all the time because they, they touched your stuff. I remember years ago, shared about my, um, I used to live in Port Dover, and I lived in a semi-detached house for a while, and I had a neighbor who loved his side of the house like it was his second wife. He just loved that house, and, and he loved my side too. And so every time that uh, he was working on his house, I had to be working on my house. So he would, uh, he would you know, mow the lawn, knock on my door, time to mow the lawn. You know, he'd wash, the, uh, he'd wash his siding, and then all of a sudden the, my siding's getting washed, and I would get a bill. You know, it was like, it was this strange thing. But he's like, listen, we both have to do our part to keep the value of this house because it's an amazing place. And, and finally, I would just like stop answering the door and, and uh, let the weed grow. But he, uh, he was so particular about it. And one day as I was talking to him, he, he had mentioned that his family was down from out east, his daughter and his grandkids, and they only come down once every couple of years. And they're at his house and he was steaming. And he's like, I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, my grandson was here. He's 16. He walked up the driveway in bare feet. I just had spray painted or had uh, covered the driveway, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And the tar is still a little fresh. And he got that black stuff on his feet. And then he didn't. He walked down my stairs and walk into my basement and go in the shower and have a shower. And now there's black footprints all over the bottom of the shower. He's like, I just spent a couple hours trying to get it out and I can't get it out at all. He says, you know what I did? I'm like, no. He's like, I told my daughter. I'm like, you're welcome to come back here, but don't you ever bring him here again. Like, wow. There's the extreme of stuff coming in between relationships. But it doesn't start there. Those are the things that are like, oh, those are shocking. That would never be me. 
But it doesn't start there. It starts so much smaller. And God's saying, listen, I don't want to be your backup plan. I want to be your master plan when it comes to finances. If, you, if you're here this morning, you believe that the next time you run into a financial crisis, you would pray and you would invite God in. Why not do it now? Why not invite him in now and say, okay, God, I believe you would help me then. So I just want to pray and believe that you're going to help me now that I might avoid that I might avoid those kind of spots, that I might be able to set up guardrails in my life now. And you're like, well, how do you set up a guardrail when it comes to this idea of greed? It's really easy to set up a guardrail against greed. Well, I shouldn't say easy. It's simple. It's really simple when it comes to setting up a guardrail against greed. And it's just changing a habit. It's reprioritizing the way you use money in your life. Here's, here's a quick little chart to show you. You know, when we, um, and we've shared this before, but when you're mastered by your money, this is how you you live. First, you, you spend money on you to live. You pay your bills and you pay everything else. That's where all the money goes, and it's me first. And then, you know, the second thought, no, no, go back. That's okay. We still love you. Then the next one is save, right? Save is like, if I haven't spent it all, then I'm going to save a little bit. You know, and maybe, maybe if, there's, if there's enough, then I'll save a little bit. And then if there's anything left over, and there never is, then I'm going to give some away. You know, then maybe, maybe I'll, get, I'll make sure that if I do give, Somebody notices, you know, if I'm going to give to a church or something, I'm just going to do it real slow, you know, the envelope, just making sure, you know, anybody looking, God, you watching, I'm giving you some right now, you know. It's like, that's kind of our thought sometimes is when money's our master, because we think it's about me, me, and then God and others, maybe. He's simply saying to set up a guardrail in your life that protects you from ever falling off the cliff of consumerism or hitting the wall of hoardism is this idea of being uh, the master of your money. And mastering your money just flips the script. It says, you know what, I'm going to give first. Like, well, I don't have anything. It's society to say, I'm going to give a percentage of what I have. And if you have nothing, that's zero. You're good. But there's going to be dollars that come in saying, you know, what, I'm just deciding. I'm going to give a percentage away. You decide whatever that percentage is. I'd recommend it's not 100, but, you know, maybe like start at three or five or saying, you know what, I'm just going to give. God, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give to others first because it's what he cares about. And we'll see that soon. The second thing is then you start saving and saying, I'm going to save some because I know I'm going to need some later. I'm going to have opportunities to give later. I'm going to save some, and I'm just going to live on the rest. It's others and God first, then, then some for me. And you're like, yeah, you know what? That sounds good, but uh, I don't know if I like those words. We just use them because they're simple. But you could also say you're going to give first, then you're going to hoard, and then you're going to consume. So you can still hoard and consume if you'd like. It's just the order that matters. It's just the order you know, money and stuff will always be competing for your heart and devotion. When I, uh, last night I was thinking about this, I thought, man, I wish Gary had preached this message. Because this one has just messed with me as I've prepped for it for the last number of weeks. Because I've seen God work in my life in this area many, many times. And, and yet, stuff still tries to master me. I've been off the cliff of debt more times than I'd like to, to admit. And have watched as wisdom and living out that principle have brought me back to a place. And yet stuff still wants to get a hold of me. And it's one of those things that still wants to try and master me. You know, when you build a house, all of a sudden there's all kinds of things you can look at. And it's like, wow, I could have that countertop or I could have that countertop. Right? I could have, I could have you know, siding or brick, gold bricks. To, and I know some of you think that's like, whatever, I'm Joel Osteen and building one mansion. Well, anyways. There's those temptations to do stuff, to say, oh, this is what I want. And I keep running into this guardrail of my conscience going off. No, hey, what do we need versus what do we want? And it's tough. It, it tries to grab a hold of you. I lay awake sometimes at night thinking about it. It's like, you know, it shouldn't be. But here's the, here's the thing. 
The thing I've learned in my life, and I'm continuing to learn, is that it never gives up. It's always going to try. It's one of those things that we say, this becomes my habit. I'm just going to give first, save second, and live on the rest. I've taught my kids the same thing. I've taught my kids just as, uh, as soon as they got their first allowance, they got three jars. The jars say give, save, and spend. And we, we kind of give them uh, amounts of money that break into tens pretty easily and say, hey, listen, give, give 10% to the give jar. Just stick it in there and, and then give it away. And like, we got to give our money away? Yeah, because you know what? I never want them to be mastered by it. And then they put 40 or 40% in their save jar, which ends up being about four bucks. And then, you know, they get to spend the rest, the five. They get to spend that on whatever they want. And, and, and some of you like wonder, you know, why would the church talk about money? Or why would he do that to his kids? Or, you know, why would he do that? And maybe some of you think, well, maybe he knows that the give money is going to go to the church. So that's why he does it. You know, because if he, he, he knows that just, Every dollar they get, they, they put it in there. And then after church, that I go around to all the classrooms where I know my kids are, and they gave their money, and I get a bag, and I scoop it all in. I take it back to the bank, and I put it back in my bank account, and that's how I get paid. Um, maybe that's how, maybe some of you are like, you know, maybe that's how the church needs, or maybe it needs the money, you know, that the lights won't stay on if we don't get there $2.50. That's not why we do it. And for some of you think, that's why he's telling us. Why do you think I would tell my kids that they should give, save, and, and live on the rest? Because as a parent, I don't want them ever to be mastered by money. I don't want them to be mastered by consumerism. I don't, I don't want them to live discontent, to be slaves to consumption. I don't want them to choose money over their marriage. Like, well, nobody does that. Sounds like this. Hey, hon, I'm taking another overtime shift because we really need the money. That's what choosing money over marriage looks like. Choosing money over their kids Hey, you know, son, I'd love to uh, take you out golfing, but those are my new golf clubs, and I really don't want you to touch them. That's choosing money over family or relationships. You know, choosing money over health, choosing money over peace, and thinking that, that the, the sum of my life is, is equal to the stuff I have. Jesus was like, that's why I'm concerned about money. And here's what he says in this conversation in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and you'll love the other because they are always messing with each other. He says, you'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. He says, this is why I tell you not to worry because here's the main thing he's concerned about. I'm not concerned about how much money you have or don't have. I don't want you worrying about everyday life. That's why I'm telling you, don't worry whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't your life worth more than food and your body worth more than clothing? He's like, so kind of in, in his conclusion, he says, verse 31, don't worry about things saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Those are the questions that ran through their minds. And we don't fully understand what that was like. But sitting on that hillside that day, they're thinking these questions a whole lot differently than us. They don't have refrigeration. Like this morning, you weren't waking up like, oh, what am I going to eat? Man, I got to go find a chicken. And maybe if I'm lucky, I can, you know, hunt down a pig and it's going to be a good breakfast. I got to do all that before I go to church this morning. You didn't think that. You just walked to your refrigerator. Because we don't really worry the same about food. What am I going to drink? Drinking water, fresh water, was something so difficult for them to find that most of the time it was, it was better to drink wine than water. Not saying that you should. But they, uh, that, was their, that was their thing. That was, uh, Clean water was difficult to find. They would worry about where am I going to find the next water? You know, what am I going to wear? Clothing was super expensive back then. You know, wearing the same rag for six months and finding out, okay, I've got to find a new rag somewhere. You know, because 
it was, it was difficult. And he says, I know that those are things that you don't want to go through your mind all the time. But he says, don't allow money to steal, your, to steal your joy. Don't let it steal your peace. Don't let it steal your sleep. And that's what it does. You know, I'm laying awake sometimes thinking about, thinking about stuff. It's in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, you know, how am I going to do that? How am I going to pay for that? And like, okay, don't know. Just go to sleep. Okay. Uh, but how am I going to pay for that? Do, okay, just go to sleep. Okay, go to sleep. But how am I going to pay for that? And it's like this, this thing that consumes you. And that's what happens when it becomes a, a master. And Jesus is saying, I, I don't want you to worry. He says in verse 32, it says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. What does that mean, unbeliever? These things dominate the thoughts of those who think there is no God who can intervene or there's no God who can change the situation. It's this thought of, I've got to figure it out some way myself. It's all about me, me, me. It's what I'm serving and devoting and putting my thoughts to. I'm living as if there's no God when I think that way. Matthew chapter 6, he finishes with 32 and 33. He says, these things dominate the uh, thoughts of unbelievers, but not so with you. Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Just leave that up for a second because here's the answer to the problem. He says, listen, when you're worrying and when you're devoted to money, he says, you're assuming that there's no God. But he says, you know what? If you're a Jesus follower, you have a heavenly Father. And he's a perfect heavenly father. And all good dads care about their kids. You can count on the fact that he cares about you. That you have a God who cares deeply about you. Loves you incredibly. And he says he already knows. You don't need to worry and stress about it. Because he already knows your visa bill. He already knows what you, you, know, what you need. He already knows all that stuff. And it says he knows your needs. You don't, you don't have to worry that, that, there's, that, that you're in this alone. He already knows. And we think, hey, you know, what about your needs? What will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? Where will I live? What will I drive? Jesus is simply saying to them and to us, you can trust that you have a heavenly father who cares deeply about you. You can trust that he is going to take care of you. The question for all of us this morning is, do you? Do I? Do I trust that I have a heavenly father who cares about me? Do I trust that he already knows my needs? Do I trust that, that he is for me and not wanting something just from me? Do I? If I do, then I'm going to set up guardrails. I'm going to live the way he desires because he knows that I will give first, that I will save, and that I will live on the rest instead. He says this in verse 33 of Matthew 6. How do I set a guardrail up against greed? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Reprioritize things. Saying, God, I'm going to seek you first. I'm just going to do it your way first. And it says this, and these things will be added to you. You know, that for some, they've used that to say, hey, this is like, this is how you can get God to give you stuff. You know, if you just give God a little bit, you know, he's going to pour out, shaking together, running over into to your hands. You're going to get more and more stuff. Don't worry. You know, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. Okay, I'm going to go to church. I'm delighting myself in the Lord. I'm going outside and hope there's a Ferrari waiting for me, right? Like, you know, God, I, I sang to you, you better pay my bills um, or you better make me rich or whatever. That's not what Jesus was ever saying. He's saying it's way bigger than that and it's way better than that. He says this, he says this, just know you have a heavenly father who cares about your needs. You know, and you may not get all your wants. You may not get that hot tub. You may not get that cottage up north. You may not get that new car or me, new minivan. You may not get that new, new, new stuff. But he says, you get me. And you can count on whatever you go through that I am with you, that his presence in our lives is actually worth more. Paul said, I would trade everything just to know him. Because in the end, all that stuff leaves you empty every single time. 
It's like, this is going to be the one thing that's going to do it for me. And it isn't. And it's this, and it isn't. And it's this, and it isn't. He says, you know what? That desire is good. He says, the, just the, the, the master that you devoted to is what's the, the difference. Devoting it to him, following him. It's crazy how amazing that, that the relationship with him is when we've set our focus on it. But we're always being drawn away. And so in cl- closing today, I want to leave you with the words of Solomon. Solomon was known to be the wisest man of his time and potentially the wisest man, you know, who ever lived. And he wrote simple proverbs, thoughts that just were, just, they, they just were common sense. And yet, because he said them, they were written down and kept for thousands of years. What you're reading is almost 3,000 years old. It says this, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. A wise person sees, ah, oh, this could be danger in my life ahead and sets up a guardrail. The simpleton just goes on blindly and suffers the consequences. This morning, if you hear yourself, if you saw yourself in the message today, what are you going to do with that? If you're like, yeah, I see I'm on kind of on one of those two sides, you know, hoarder, consumer. I, I can see myself there. What are you going to do with that? This morning, you don't have the excuse of, well, I was given limited information. I gave you 40 minutes of information. There's no limited information here. It's not like, well, it's just now up to you to decide. Are you going to say, yes, I'm going to set up a guardrail? You're just like, no, I'm tossing the steering wheel in the ditch, and I'm just going to hold on for dear life. I'll see you in my office talking about money shortly. He says this is what he sees. So what will you decide? And, and, and really, it's simple. What will you decide to put first? When it comes to money, what will you decide first to do with your money? You know, when most people find out this, this thing of give, save, live, it's usually when they hit rock bottom. Years ago, that was Beth and our, my case. We, we, were, we were so in debt and, and going more in debt all the time. And then somebody told us this and said, hey, you got to start, you got to do a few things. You got to get rid of a car. You probably shouldn't buy, spend so much on clothes. You probably should sell your house if you can. Move in with your in-laws. Do whatever it takes. And before you do all that, start giving money away. I'm like, we don't have enough to give. He's like, that's the point. Start giving some away. And it's amazing what happened in our life over the last nine years as a result of doing that, giving first and, and realizing, and here, here's what happens. And to those I've seen, others who do the same thing, this is what happens. When they give first, they end up saving more. They end up actually saving more as a result. And then spending, they actually spend less. You're like, well, that doesn't sound fun. You're missing the best part. The very last part of it is they are the most content and happy they've ever been in their whole life. They're more content. They're more happy. They're stressing less as a result. And, and why are they more content? Because they're actually living like their Father in heaven. When we give first, it's just like him. For God so loved this planet that he gave. He loved the people of this planet that he gave. He gave first. It's the thing that Jesus said, too, when he was talking with his disciples. Mark chapter 10, you can read it when you get home. This is the last thing this morning. He's walking down the road with the disciples, and he hears them in the background. Oh, Jesus is going to be a king. You know, this is awesome. He's going to take over Rome. He's the best. He's the best. And they're like, yeah, he's the best, but who's the second best? Well, I'm the second best. No, John, that's my spot. You know, you can be third best. And, and he hears them kind of all arguing about who's going to be the best and the best. And, and Jesus stops them. And he says, hey, fellas, what are you talking about? And like, oh, and he knows already. And he says, let me just ask you a question. He says, important people on the planet, important people, what do they, what do, they do when it comes to other people? He's like, do they, he says, they, they lord it over people. They make other people serve them. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what important people do. And, and that's why we're arguing about this, because when you're famous and we're famous, we want people to serve us. And he says, he's, he looks at them, he just stops them cold. And he's like, not so with you. Not so with you. 
He says, that's how kingdoms work here on this planet. And everybody wants to get up here because then people will serve them. Not so with you. He's like, I, my kingdom is that you would serve one another, that you would be the greatest servants of one another. And he says, and I'm about to do for the whole world what I want the whole world to do for one another. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to lay my life down for other people. And I want the whole world to do that for one another. That's my kingdom, that they would live for for something other than themselves, that they would live for one another. Why? Because you realize that selflessness would solve everything. Think about that for one second. Selflessness would solve everything. There would be no poverty if there was no selfishness. There would be no war if there was selflessness. There would be no uh, homelessness. There'd be no world hunger. There would just be, it, it would solve everything if there was selflessness. I know that's a hard one for all of us to kind of stomach or think about, but it comes down to that first thing of relation to money because Jesus is simply saying, welcome to my kingdom. My kingdom is a kingdom where people live for him first, him and others first, and as a result, their lives are changed as well. So this morning, we leave that with you. If you feel like, hey, I'm, those areas are things in my life that maybe need a guardrail, I'd encourage you to set one up. And for you to decide and you to determine, nobody's going to be checking the offering next week to see, did they do it? Because I would encourage you not even to give here. If you're like, that guy just wants my money. I'd encourage you just give it away to someone else. Just pick a percentage and say, I'm just going to give it away because I just want to live for him and others first. Just watch what happens in your life as a result. We pray. Father, thanks for tonight or today. Beautiful day. Chance to celebrate you. Thank you for your word that it's alive, it's powerful, changes our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your family and to be a blessing on this planet. Help us to, to do that with you this, uh, this week as we go from here into our world, to shine bright, that they might see you in and through us. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, thank you for your incredible sacrifice. Thank you for the chance to live in a country that's free. In your name I pray, amen.